You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Tony Telecasts from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. Welcome, listeners, to our miniseries about the Tonys, bringing you all the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history. In each podcast episode, we watch the telecast of a previous Tony Awards, not only the performances, but the opening and the speeches and the 16-minute medleys to see how it reflects on a season as a whole. So let's continue our conversation about the 1976 Tony Awards. Let's talk about the nominated performances. You mean Chorus Line and other shows? Okay, we're going to get into discussing the favoritism of a Chorus Line later. Yeah. Okay, so the opening of the ceremony, it only begins with that whole opening speech about like star-struck romantics coming to New York to try to make it on the big stage, but then goes into a seven-minute opening of a Chorus Line. So the opening of the show is... The opening of a chorus line. Is the it the full opening? The thing. Minus a few like minor details, we basically got the entire opening. Well, my first thought was like, imagine like being paid to mark on stage at the Tony. <laughs> that was something I was fascinated with, is that this dancing isn't supposed to be synchronized no. until the end of the show. And so it's like so funny to watch like 25 messy dancers learning <laughs> a combination. They're learning. So like some people... Sheila is just like chilling and other people yeah like Bobby's just chilling because he knows it already like all these character driven marking on national TV they are real actors they're not just dancers they're not just chorus kids and some of them are Tony award winning after tonight tell me this because everyone sort of marks in their own way when you learn the show Aaron as you have because you were in a chorus line on Broadway yes hey guys Aaron's been on Broadway (laughs) thanks um do you get told like how to mark the number it when you're playing certain characters like is it like well sheila and cassie do a single when they do this or i think there's freedom in how you mark from what i remember all 14 years ago but it's sort of based on character decided and designated who marks and who doesn't like mark will never mark got it mike is definitely not gonna mark but like sheila who's been around Bobby, who's been around, Greg, who's been around, they're all contemporaries of Cassie, they can mark. Like, Val's not going to mark. So depending on their place in the pecking order of the show, in terms of the industry in general and industry in the show, like, that's established. But how you mark is sort of up to you. I was obsessed with this moment where judy turner gives a low-key high five when she's asked to stay like she's doing the like grouping it's like all of the dancers are like downstage right and larry's calling the numbers of people that zach wants to stay yeah and when judy's number gets called she like sneaks back and gets this like low-key like high five at her hip level with an and i was like that's so real Uh these people looked real to me that's also what do you think because again like we've talked about how much i love watching the original versions of these shows that we all that have become iconic i've even said that recently about like watching hamilton on disney plus these are the performers who created it and therefore these are the moments that they just did before the show became iconic before like moments were set before like 
back like this show was still a show it wasn't an experience that was micromanaged so that every audience member had the same experience of the show Hmm. the freedom that judy could probably have that fast forward like four years into the run where that high five might become that might go in the bible yeah whereas right now because she just did it it was the most real because that actress got to do it. Or maybe she did it one time and now it's on television and now anyone who watches it is like, oh, when I play Judy, I'm going to do the Judy Turner high five. Yeah, Yeah. all of these things. Freaking like, or she like did it just on a whim and then liked it and then kept it in her show. Like all of, it's amazing how all of these different moments just organically become law in these long running shows. Every Jack Kelly is now going to take his hat off. And and slide slide it down down the side of his face. And I was there when that was just on a whim. And I was like, oh, Jeremy liked that. (laughs) That's going to be in every version of. Now he's going to do that from now on. Yep. We'll get back to a chorus slide later. Let's (laughs) talk about Chicago. Let's talk about Chicago. This is so interesting because a chorus line is like watching something we've all seen done exactly the way we've seen it done before. But this is like its core, right? This is like no Chicago that we know currently. We know Chicago very well from the movie, from the long running Broadway show. But this feels like not quite related to the version of Chicago that I know. Well, I think this relates back to our conversation about Cabaret a few weeks ago. We're like, The revival of Cabaret has now become the definitive version of Cabaret. I feel like, at least for our generation, the revival of Chicago is 100% the definitive Chicago that we think of. Oh, sure. Or even the movie, but definitely not the original production. Well, you watch this. The curtain rises on basically what the show poster of the original Chicago Uh was. These six women in lingerie with like bowler hats. But that looks to me like the roundabout revival of cabaret. I would say that's like a cabaret yeah. look is yeah. women in nude colored lingerie with like over accentuated eye makeup yeah. versus when I think of Chicago, I think of women in all black. It is weird to see Chicago done in like any color palette other than black, white, and red. Well, because yeah, that's the aesthetic that we're used to now. Whereas like there is freedom in the show when it was just like they were making it up. Because even extending that to like the Fosse vocabulary and the Fosse book and the Fosse way of things are done. It's like, that didn't exist yet. This was just Fosse choreographing shows. Right. It wasn't a Bible in the same way. There wasn't like a how-to kit. Yeah, it wasn't an entire movement yet. It wasn't a school of movement yet. It was just Fosse doing some steps. What did you think of this version of All I Care About Is Love, led by Jerry Orbach, Broadway favorite? Chicago is always one of those shows that I take for granted, that I'm like, oh, I get Chicago. But then whenever I see a number from it, I'm like, wait, do I really understand this show and all of its layers? Watching this number, I was like, oh, I get it. But then when he started taking his clothes off, I was like, is there a layer to this song that I don't understand or don't remember? And it, it was that where I was just like, I feel like this song is smarter than me right now. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to watch it yet, it's basically the staging from the revival. The women are doing that staging, but Jerry Orbach as Billy Flynn is doing a striptease. He's taking off his lawyer suit yeah. sort of piece by piece so that he ends in boxers in a in a white undershirt and, you know, sock garters. And why? Do you do you know the reason in terms of like Dramaturgically? I wondered if it was to connect it to its vaudeville energy, you know, if that was like the 
it was supposed to feel like a striptease like vaudeville might. But how does that relate to the song? Are you looking it up? No, I don't know what it means. Okay, great. (laughs) Hey, fans of Chicago, (laughs) DM me because I feel like, and and I like, I feel like that's like something pretty obvious if you know Chicago intimately, but I don't. So I'm like, I wonder what this means, but I liked it. Did you like it? Every time I've seen any footage from the original production of Chicago, it just doesn't feel like it lands in the same way for me. And I don't think it's because of like, it's something that I'm used to. It just doesn't like something about the production design, the costumes, like it just doesn't like have the same sort of gravitas. Sure. I'm not sure. So I, I just felt like sort of like thrown off. But also the Chicago performance feels very thrown off. You know, like this ceremony is not about Chicago. And so, yeah, okay, Chicago is going to perform and Jerry Orbach is going to sing a song. It's also, I mean, it's interesting to see a performance from Chicago that doesn't feature Roxy or Velma. That's, yeah. I was just thinking that right now. I was like, I wonder why they didn't do like Cell Block Tango or like Hot Honey Rag or something or even all that jazz. Like didn't the, the Revival performed all that jazz, right? When they. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was all that jazz into Hot Honey Rag that they did. Got it. I wonder if that was a calculated move in terms of like, well, Donna's going to win. So maybe Jerry has a shot. Yeah. And so let's feature him. But it just like feels like such an afterthought to me, this performance that. Yeah. uh I mean, it's been said time and again, Chicago got its comeuppance. So yeah, good for them. I got to say the performance that intrigued me the most was from Bubbling Brown Sugar, a performance of Sweet Georgia Brown, which I know is the Harlem Globetrotter song from the commercials. It it came up and I was like, I know this song. I know this song. This is like a real song, not like a theater song. Right. And that's because Bubbling Brown Sugar was a musical review featuring music from black artists from the Harlem Renaissance. Ah, okay. And it played... Uh, 766 performances at the Anta Theater, which is now the August Wilson. Ooh, that's a good run. And there are three people in this number. Vivian Reed playing Irene. Now, this was like a performance that was lauded. Like you had to see Vivian Reed do her Sweet Georgia Brown. Oh, awesome. It was a thing. And she's phenomenal in the number. She's She's like a friggin' star in the number. All three of them are really awesome. All three of them are really great. It made me want to like do some research on these three performers. Okay. So So you did. She did. Of course I did. Um, She did a show I think called That's Entertainment earlier in the 70s. Oh, cool. Um, But her last Broadway outing was playing Audra McDonald's mother in Marie Christine in 1999. Oh, awesome. Okay. Avon Long plays John Sage. Now, he made his Broadway debut 32 years earlier as the original Sport in Life in Porgy and Bess. Oh, okay. And he was also in the 1952 production of Shuffle Along. Work. Okay, cool. And then the second gentleman is Joseph Adels playing Checkers. He made his Broadway debut 50 years earlier in Blackbirds of 1928. This is a show that played in 1928 at the Liberty Theater, which is that theater on 42nd Street that's empty, that's kind of like couched by the entrances to the Lyric on either side. Wait, how did he make it? He had to have played a child in Blackbirds of 1928. I assume. There ain't no way. These are like experienced veteran men of the Broadway stage. But like, how dare? Like, even that, that's like, wow. Wow. They are killing it. And you're going to tell me one of them is above 50 years old? Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think these guys look today over 35. Oh, no. so. awesome. That work. Work, 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 work. For Chicago coming off as so sort of lackluster and then having its place in theater history, like this was like a wake up call for me watching the telecast. I was like, this is great. I want to see this show. Yeah. No spoiler to our Yelp review, but I was like, whatever this is, I'm here for it. The fourth nominated performance was from Pacific Overtures doing the opening of the show, The Advantages of Floating in the Middle of the Sea. It was a lot of people. (laughs) It was an onstage cast of 31. Yeah. And it was at the Winter Garden, which is, you know, that big sort of like wide proscenium. This was a big show. Huge show. Huge. Have you seen Pacific Overtures? I saw the revival. Um, Yeah, I think it was in 2005. 2005? 2003? 2005. 2005. That was a lot of math. Please keep all of that in. Please keep every one of those in your recording. Cool. I think I saw it in 2005. Um, I did not see the most recent off-Broadway production. Um, It has employed a lot of my friends, but it's, it's a show that, again, like Chicago, I think is smarter than I am. So I was like, this is all kind of going over my head, but... My friends are singing real great. So this opening is dense. It's a lot. Like the whole thing is like the the sort of narrator character, like telling you about the traditions. The this is how we arrange the rice. This is how we arrange the bows. Um, Avatar: The Last Airbender fans, because there's a lot of crossover here. This is Mako who plays Uncle Iroh. So take that. Continue, Mo. <laughs> Those are all names. Um. <laughs> It is. It's a history lesson for sure. It is a dense opening. And to like put this next to the lull that is Sweet Georgia Brown or All I Care About is Love. And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I wanted to have like broccoli for dinner. Maybe I just wanted to have a cupcake. Because not only is it like a history lesson, it's like a Sondheim history lesson where it's just (laughs) it's basically like if Aaron Sorkin was attacking you with like really dense dialogue. In like a three minute time span telling you about the history of the Constitution. Like, it's a lot. And I don't understand. What struck me about this performance, and also like, because there were also a lot of shows mentioned in the Tony Losing Medley, that there are all these shows like Pacific Overtures and King and I and Flower Drum Song that have all have existed that have employed a lot of Asian artists but without any Asian creators on the other side of the table. Hmm. Even the award winners and nominees from this show, with the exception of Mako, are all non-Asian. The designers are non-Asian. Stephen Sondheim is non-Asian. Like, it's all... And the same thing goes for, like, the old Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. It's fascinating how these minority shows existed, but... Well, then you said they employ you they employ your friends they're i guess and i guess this extends into a greater conversation that we're currently having in the world right now but it's like the white men who wrote them have the gall have the hubris to believe they have the voices for these characters in the in these shows and it's fascinating and i guess these are just like products of the time but while stories that represent us existed back then they were told by faces that did not look like us.
Okay, so we opened with a performance from a chorus line and we closed with a performance from a chorus line. This is the Tony Awards of the chorus line. This is the chorus line show. Right. Every presenter mentions where they come from. It's like an ode to a chorus line. Yeah. The telecast is at the Schubert, home of a chorus line. There are loud whoops every time an a chorus line nominee is mentioned. Every time. I couldn't figure out it was just like the fan favorite or it was like the crew guys in the back being like, who? I don't. <laughs> LOL. Could you imagine? I feel like it was the audience because every time someone won those were easily the loudest cheers Mm -hmm. this show is very clearly well loved. it's like the 2016 tony awards and people like oh is hamilton gonna win anything tonight (laughs) do you think do you think maybe hamilton might walk away with some awards right I, i mean they even do that where they like get to do the finale it's very clear that this show everyone thought of chorus line was gonna win yeah talking about 2016 which we did not pick because Duh. What's more appropriate? If we just leaned into the idea that Corson was the front runner and just like made a chorus line show, or the way we do it now, where we pretend that anyone has a shot and make sure everyone prepares two numbers just in case Hamilton doesn't win, except Hamilton's absolutely gonna win. But to provide equity and to feign equity, do we ignore that elephant in the room and play all these games? Like, what's the better answer? I think there's something to be said for equity, like even in a telecast where a a show sweeps. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I also think that this second number Mm -hmm. from A Chorus Line was much more satisfying than the second number from Hamilton in 2016. Well, but here's the question. Yeah. In 2016, if we were to just like lean into the favoritism, Hamilton, what, could have been like for the finale... If it was an entire show dedicated to legacy, do we end the show with who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Or do we end the show with, I don't know, what what other appropriate end would there be? A one last time. Do we give an actual finale an appropriate finale? Because you can't ask every show to be like, hey, in case you win, give us a full produced spectacle finale that you think might work for this telecast. I've always thought about how annoying that would have been for in rehearsal to be any of the other shows working on their second number. Mm-hmm. But if we had centered 2016 around, like if we still did Tony themes and we centered that telecast around legacy and we allowed Hamilton to just have a Hamilton Tony's telecast, it could have been actually a really great production. All right, American Theater Wing, we're ready to step in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that that's the right answer either. Because I do think that there's value in equity. Because, again, we just saw a big upset. If if 2004 was, like, centered around soaring and centered around, like, flying above the clouds and, <laughs> like, changing expectations, that would have gone down in history as the biggest awkward thing in the world. Yeah. So I do think we do it better now. But it's interesting that there is merit to the way they did it before. All right, let's hit our Yelp review. Oh my gosh, our final Yelp review. You keep saying final. We could come back to this, Aaron. It's not It's not forever. Hey, just like the Tonys, we don't know what's going to happen after this. Too real. <laughs> 
So what? Which performance made the show look better than it was, Mo? I had wrote one thing, but now I want to steal your answer oh, and say you. Tony losing medley. Oh. It was. It was. Uh, these shows did win Tonys, and yet they all looked great to me. Literally, like they're Tony losing performances, and yet I want to watch every single one of them, For especially sure. the ones that I was like floored by. I'm like, wait a second, Pippin didn't win first time around. Gypsy didn't win. West Side. Probably the most iconic musical theater piece ever yeah. is a Tony losing show. Uh, what performance made you want to buy a ticket? With the way the show was built? A chorus line? Sure. Like, it was a very pro-chorus line show. And had I not known what that show was and watched that, I would have wanted to go see it. What about you? This is looking a little bit through my contemporary lens. But I want to see Bubbling Brown Sugar now. Oh, I want to know what that show yeah. was. Yeah. Which speech moved you the most? It's a two-parter, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll be back next week with Aaron's answers to his favorites. Right. Um, it is Sammy Williams who won for Best Supporting Actor in a Musical Comedy. And <laughs> Nicholas Dante, who won for Best Book for A Chorus Line. Because Sammy Williams won for Paul. Nicholas Dante was born Conrado Morales and is the originator of the role of Paul. Hmm. All of his interviews are Paul. And so in some ways, both he and his story won a Tony tonight, which I thought was really beautiful. And especially in his speech, he thanks his parents because they were behind him every step of the way, quote unquote. And because we know the monologue, we know the eight minute monologue that ends with his parents both shamed of him and also proud of him. It's quite the cathartic ending if you can assume that the Paul story ends with him winning a Tony. Hmm. In the same vein, like Sammy Williams, he starts it with, so this is what it's like to be here. <laughs> and all three performer awards for Chorus Line are all sort of marveling where they are. And all of them sort of acknowledge that this is not a normal trajectory of an ensemblist. And so they're all so grateful. And all of them, all three of them, Donna McKechnie, Kelly Bishop, and Sammy Williams all thank and dedicate their Tonys to their cast. No one else does that. They do. I thought that was very significant. Mm. How about you? What what speech moved you the most? Okay, I did like Kelly Bishop. I did as well. I, you know, she says, you know, I've played this theater many times in the chorus, and I am again, and I've done Tony Awards here in the chorus, but... I, this has been one of my dreams. Wait, and it's wait, coming wait, 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 you, you, you buried the lead. She starts her speech with welcome to my theater. True. <laughs> Which I was like, work, you better own the Schubert. Own the Schubert. What I, I, I was very sort of like sweet, but also um, self-important. I don't know. It was, it, was, it was like she was recognizing the strangeness of her winning, but also that she deserved to win, mm -hmm. which I liked. Yeah. She also uses the tried and true Tony Award joke where she says, I have to accept this on behalf of the cast, but I'll keep it at my house. Yes, she does. Which, yeah, I, when I heard, I was like. That's the Billy Porter joke from 2013 when he says Sark Sands. <laughs> Except this was way before that. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I, now I want to go through every Tony Award speech and see how many times people say this is for someone else, but I'm going to keep it at my house. <laughs> Same. 
Um, biggest surprise win. George Rose over Jerry Orbach, right? We'd done the whole thing, basically, the Chicago thing. All I care about is love, I assume, is so that we can show off Jerry Orbach as Billy Flynn. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't win. He loses to an Alfred Doolittle in a revival of My Fair Lady. In what world is Alfred Doolittle the leading actor in My Fair Lady? Absolutely. I was like, wow, he must have moved mountains as Alfred P. Doolittle. Yeah. Guys, that's the supporting role. That's what that is. <laughs> okay, what about you? Biggest surprise win. I don't even know who won this category, but my biggest surprise win was whoever won the best supporting actress in a play category, only because Meryl Streep lost. This is like watching Audrey McDonald or Angela Lansbury lose. It does not happen ever. Would you recommend watching this, Aaron? I think so. For all the A Chorus Line love, because there's a lot of A Chorus Line love, as we've discussed, but also a well-deserved Chorus Line love because the gratitude for all the winners who won from A Chorus Line were all beautiful. Were all, the, all the acceptance speeches. I didn't bring up Michael Bennett's because it's historic, but like even when he was like, I wanted this, it's beautiful to watch. And then also the Tony Losing Medley. The Tony Losing Medley is poppin'. What about you? Would you want? Would you recommend? I don't think so. That's okay. I think I want more. I think I want more drama. This was a very heartfelt, big chorus line love, but I wanted, I wanted more upsets. Okay. So okay, that's fair. You wanted the drama. I was happy with like the love letter. Yes. Yeah. That, there you go. And so ends our first season of Tony Telecast. Woo-hoo! Thank you wow. to all of you who've been traveling this journey with us. I hope you had fun because we definitely have. Yep. This has been a heavy lift, but it's <laughs> but been it's a fun been great. heavy lift. Um, we've learned a lot, laughed and loved. So, okay, everybody. <laughs> now, here's what's going to happen now. We're going to take a little break from the Tonys, but after a week or two, we'll be shifting gears and coming back with an all-new series recapping the FX miniseries Fosse Verdant. Much like our Smashed Recap podcast, still available on Broadway Podcast Network, wherever you find your podcasts, we will be walking through this series episode by episode to take a peek into a life on Broadway that, surprise, neither of us were around for. Episodes of Fosse Verdon are available to stream on Hulu and available for purchase on Apple TV and Amazon Video. But here's where you, the listener, come in. Do you want a season two of these Tony Telecast recaps? Do you have a favorite Tony Telecast we haven't recapped yet and wish we would? If so, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts with your favorite Tony season. And if we can find it, maybe we'll recap it on a future episode. Pressure's on. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And me, Mo Brady. Special thanks to Wasif Sammy for providing the background research for this Broadway season. There are two great ways you can be helping the Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash the Ensemblist. Please follow the Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.